BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. guys and welcome to another episode of the stardom cast your weekly audio source of all things world wonder ring stardom i'm your host rob goodwin and i'm joined as ever by chris o'brien chris o'brien how are you doing i'm fine i got refused the sale of a pg dvd and asked her the other day <laughs> for for what reason did you need your parent present no let's so like I was having a bad day, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy some hot chocolate. It's going to be mega. And then, now, um, my Asda recently got a big renovation, so it was like the size of an actual Asda. And um, (laughs) there's a new, like, DVD bit where we just get DVDs for Music Magpie and, like, sell them for for a crew each, so it's worth looking. And I saw Doctor Strange Love, and I was like, oh, a Stanley Kubrick film for a pound? Yes, please. Took it to the counter with my hot chocolate and my various amounts of sugar. And <laughs> the woman at the self service was like, "Oh, I think you need to be sixteen to buy a PG." And I'm like, "No, you don't." <laughs> and I didn't bring my ID. I just had my phone with Google Pay on it, because I didn't think I would need <laughs> my ID. Like, I'm not being funny. Like, I think you need to be like twelve to buy a PG without your pa- parents with you. I'm not. I I have a massive beard and I'm six foot tall, right? I was wearing a shirt. I was wearing a progress shirt that said sex robots will one day be capable of murder. I don't think I look 12. So just to top off your absolutely woeful day, you were like, do you know what? I just need I just need that little bit of comfort. I, do you know what? Dr. Strangelove is the comfort I need. And then you come up and this woman's like, I think you need to be 16 to buy a PG. No, you don't actually, love. You don't at all. <laughs> you know what? worse i was in there yesterday right and i bought three dvds i got dr strange love because i wasn't letting that one fucking go did you um, go back Dread. with your id no i didn't go back with my i was just <laughs> having to have to go to asda again and i was like right i'm gonna get my, the dvd now that i'm here um i also got dread which is an 18 and i wasn't fucking id'd 
To be fair, mate, I'm significantly older than you, and you look older than me. Um, to be fair, we discussed this in the first episode. The glasses I wore when I saw you really add a lot of age to me. I don't think it's that. I think you just look haggard as fuck. Haggard? <laughs> it's a good word, isn't it? Well, not when it's used against me. Jesus oh, right. Christ. <laughs> I didn't know if that was like an impressed exclamation of, hmm, he's used the word haggard in conversation. Or that was like a... Oh, could you to insult me? I love the fact like... then that you got that irate, that you got that high pitch, that you keyed out completely of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm happy in news. I actually watched Wrestle Princess like I said I would. Do you want to give me your summarizing thoughts? Okay. Um, yeah, just a few things I want to talk about. The opening match between four rookies, one of which has less than a year experience, was actually like properly really good. Like better than like kids' matches in stardom, which are normally fine anyway. So like I was surprised about it. It's like a proper six out of ten. Um, there was a one night tournament, which I'm always for, but the person who won it, um, who's called what's the name again? Um, Yuki Kamafoku, but I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm woefully sorry. Um, her, her theme song was that it was um, Old MacDonald Had a Farm. Are you actually for real? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put it in, I forgot what group I put it in. It's not a group you're in, but I was like, I was talking about it and I was like, why does she have Old MacDonald Had a Farm? And someone was like, don't you fucking dare insult her because. I forgot that some Joshi fans get really possessive. And I was like, I'm not. I'm just wondering why the fuck a wrestler, like going into battle, thinks, you know what I need? Oh, McDonald. That was fingers of that tournament. Both the um, quarterfinal matches before were really good, but the final match wasn't great. It was only like eight minutes long and kind of a bit meh. But. Um, one of my favorite matches of the night. I was live texting you this as it happened. Was Sakiaki versus Hyper Missile, and it was a match where when you press the button, the rules change. I d- I do remember these texts. Oh God! And I remember watching this, thinking, I love this. <laughs> but Rob, some some of the rules: no kicking. Um, put your forehead on a bat and turn five times, or else your pins won't count. If you go for a pin four and it's unsuccessful, you must spin again. Um, false count anywhere, but pins are only counted after you finish eating a bag of chocolate buffs. <laughs> I can you can start to see that TJPW is a DDT subsidiary at this point. And then, um, which is the funniest bit, there was a tag team. Um, a button press and it became a tag team match which Saki- good for Sakiaki because she has like a tag partner already but uh, <laughs> so it was um, Sakaguchi and um, Takagi from DDT and at one point Takagi st- shouted when we were fighting with baseball bats uh, no stop help I have a 10 year old daughter and then Sakaguchi shouted I'm gonna kill you and become the president <laughs> and stabbed him with a baseball bat <laughs> And then the button got pressed. Um, and then, like, the two best matches in the card was, um, <laughs> if we're going back to being serious for a second, was Ajakong and Miyu Yamashita versus Maki Io and Sari. Um, really good. Ajakong breaking the rules. And the ref going, you're breaking the rules. And she's like, I know, but he didn't do anything about it because it's Aja fucking Kong. And uh, Maki Ito showing great fire there. First time I saw 
Sorry, I can kind of see why people are hyped on her. And then the main event, which people are saying a match of the year, I don't quite agree. It, the, um, it was Yuka Sakazaki versus Mizuki. Mizuki? Mizaki? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and it was really good. It, like, the escalation was great. The problem was they introduced a um, leg tag thing very early on. And she was selling it really, 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 really well. And then they just dropped it because, you know, they had to go for the 20 minutes finishing stretch or whatever. And, like, that's a pet peeve of mine. Just don't. You can just put your finishing stretch around with leg injury. It's not that hard. But you know, it was still great. And I still really enjoyed it. And that's even knowing the results going in. So I, I would definitely recommend this show if you have time to kill. Honestly, during your summary of that tag match, <laughs> I feel like I'm just in a fever dream. <laughs> like, honestly, those words <laughs> I, don't hit me with a bat. I've got a 10 year old kid. I'm going to fucking kill you and become the president. What? <laughs> just. What the fuck? Yeah, I, d- I don't think Tokyo Joshi, uh, Tokyo Joshi pros for me, to be honest. You could just skip the comedy match. <laughs> I might check like, out the main fair, event. I might check out the main event, oh, to be fair. My God, my phone just started talking. Go away. Um, yeah, I'm. my sort of stance on Tokyo Joshi now is I'll check out the big shows. I'll check out like the title matches, but I'm probably not going to w- drop star them to... Well, I can't drop star them to watch yeah, the podcast to... <laughs> to watch it for but like it's not taking over stardom anytime soon as my favorite joshi thing i think no that's that's fair enough that's fair enough um i think we should probably talk about some stardom seeing as we've got quite a lot to get through today um oh man so we're we're not going to talk about jurassic park we're not going to talk about jurassic park today i'm really really sorry um so we've got two shows to talk about um, from the 14th of November and, of course, the Sendai Cinderella show on the 15th of November. But we'll start with Stardom Corican New Landscape, the show from the 14th of November in Corican Hall in front of 563 people. Chris, I'm going to preface this by saying pretty much the entirety of this show, Stunkov, we've got a big show tomorrow and pretty much every match suffered for it. Yeah. Yeah, this was definitely like for come back tomorrow for like something you'll really like. And the thing is, that can work. I remember ICW do that. They hold like a fight club taping before the big show, which is Fear and Loathing. But the thing is, the fight club thing is basically a party. Hmm. <laughs> like I went to one, um, it was called France 99 because they let um, the coach pick. <laughs> He's called Coach Trip and we let him pick the stipulation. Or, or the name of the show, and they called it France 99 because apparently that's football related. I don't know. And there was a battle royal where Wee Man got high on coke, and then DCT, who was the international sex hero, um, won a cup. And just for, you know, that football thing with do, 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 that happened, and it happened for like 20 minutes, and it was great. None of that happened in this show. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I kind of wish it did. I kind of wish they made like Scottish football references and like through Coke. So you can just have the chant, Wee Man's on a come down. It's great. <laughs> um, what we did have instead, though, um, of that was the debut of Lady C. Um, Sai Reader 
in the opening match defeated her in seven minutes and 23 seconds with a Boston Crab. Chris, what did you think of Lady C and her debut? I mean, for a first match, you can't really complain. She didn't put a foot wrong. The story was simple. Sairida finally got a win, which, you know, cool. It, it was fine. I You can't really say much about her right now because we know literally nothing. But for a first match, yes, good. Nothing nothing you can't really, i don't really like there's criticisms that could be had but it's her first fucking match so i feel like critiquing this is sort of like telling telling off a baby for a spelling mistake i think it's the like, biggest compliment i can give it is you couldn't tell this was her first match i'm not saying it was the greatest match in the world by any stretch of the imagination i think you know there was a couple of times when she felt nervous obviously it's her first match but i thought she had a little bit of sass a little bit of personality which sort of played into a real I think Sayarida uh, was brilliant during this sort of guiding her through the entire match. Um speaking of which, Sayarida's wide-eyed cell of Lady C's choke slam, outstanding. Excellent. Really enjoyed that. Um but yeah, it was it was fine. She I think another positive we can say is and I know this sounds like a really odd thing to say, but once wrestlers get to a certain height, you're in danger of looking really ungainly. And I don't think Lady C did that. She didn't look like, you know, Bambi on ice or anything like that. She looked really calm, really good. You know, she sold the Boston Crab really, really well. Um, and then, yeah, she got really, really emotional post-match. I thought it was great. It was yeah. it was there. Lady C looked great. I think she looks like she's going to be aligned with Queen's Quest, though that's not official yet. Um, but, yeah, I thought, it was, I thought this was... Really good for what it was, Chris. Yeah. Um, in terms of the being and gaining, I kind of see, I can kind of see that. Like at, at the beginning of their run, both Sai, um, Sai Kamatani and Himika looked like their limbs were independent from their body. <laughs> but you know, they kind of got that in check fairly quickly. And Lady C doesn't have that already. So yeah, yeah. He, he, as we've sort of seen with Tal Sire this year, people improve. Um, rookies improve very fast. So I'm looking forward to see what direction she ends up going in. Yeah, absolutely. I gave I gave it four stars. You know, there's there's nothing inherently bad with it, but of course, it you know it's a debut match, opening a card in seven minutes. You, you're not going to get much more than that. Match two then saw the Oida Tai team of Rina and Konami defeat Riho and Hina at seven minutes and thirty six seconds with the modified Northern Lights suplex. We see a little bit of fire here from Hina post uh, pre match, calling Rina that turd with the black lipstick. <laughs> it's not quite it's well I hit when I heard that all I thought was Becky with the good hair <laughs> honestly this I've been watching now for nearly a year it's a year in December and this is the first time I've seen anything even closely resembling fire from um, Hina and it was great it was it was good it was good um though there was there was a moment where Konami took over and it was sort of like watching Scott Steiner destroy Jobbers in 1993 on Raw because she absolutely <laughs> fucking eviscerated Hina and I felt so sorry for her like proper absolute destroys her um the sisters have got pretty good chemistry as you know you would hope um and then Rena wins with um the modified Northern Light Suplex, which looked great. Um, she continues to grow into the anti-Hina. 
which I really enjoyed. <laughs> I, I really like bratty Antihina Rina. Sounds, sorry, Antihina sounds like a brand of water. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I got a pint of Antihina right here. <laughs> can, I have some, can I have some Coke? Is Antihina okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think bratty Rina's great, and I think it's a good inclusion into Oida Tai. Again, what are they even doing with Riho? Seriously, I think we just want Riho on there because, for like, um, on some level, for foreign fans, it's someone they'll know. Because basically, in terms of like people who've never watched Stardom before, the only people you're going to know are Riho, B, and then maybe Mayu if you watch Ring of Honor. But that's about it. Well, so yeah, because and you do kind of want that. You want people people that people recognize because it's sort of your anchor like it's the sort of your i'm not sure what's going on here but this guy's on now so i'm sort of relieved but also yeah it's super weird that they have like Riho, who is was on like national international tv just earlier in the year before she was stuck in japan and sort of doing like ddt's given Riho more opportunities than stardom has but on the other hand I'm not massive on Riho in Stardom, so I'm not complaining, but it is baffling having someone... Like, she's objectively on an international level the most known person on this roster. I think once or while everyone assumed it was just because AEW was saying, look, you can use her, but don't put her in anything big because obviously, you know, we want her. But then pictures were bandied about on Twitter about how she'd got her own stardom jacket now. So there were rumors going around that Riho has potentially signed a contract with stardom. If that's the case, where do you put Riho? What do you see her doing? I mean, she can't just, you know, forever be in the high speed division. You've just said, you know, people know her from AEW. Um, so you can't just put her in the high-speed division with Gokik and Death. So, you know, if if it's the case that she has signed this contract with Stardom, which, again, as of the time of recording, hasn't been confirmed, but it's sort of being bandied about, shall we say, um, I think you've got to start doing stuff with her. Putting her in throwaway tags with whoever needs another member on that night isn't exactly the greatest utilisation of her. Um, but anyway, it, this match was there. Um, I enjoyed bits of it. I gave it five. There was nothing bad, and I thought Konami absolutely destroying Keena was very, very entertaining. Yeah, five. I didn't give. I didn't feel the need to take many notes on this one. No, there was almost nothing. Just like everyone sort of did their regular thing. I thought Konami was misplaced, but I'll get into that when we get into the six-man match later in the night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, match three then. This was fucking weird. Um, right, can I can I read you my notes for this one verbatim? In a minute, yeah. Um, so this was the two on one handicap match. Himika defeating Ruaka and Hannon at four minutes and twenty six seconds with the double Argentine backbreaker. Chris, your notes, please. Okay, my notes verbatim. Meet on the table. Yeah, that's what you are. Yeah, you can run, but you won't get too far. You're in my jungle, and I'll make the kill. Meet on the table, and I'll get my fill. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> You're really, really proud of yourself, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, because I, I just, I just, I was just what I just saw the, I just saw this on Sardom, on Sardom mode, and I was like, that's that's a right back squash squash match, and it even ended like a right back squash match with two people in a fucking torture act position. I know. It's just, 
It's literally a Ryback squash match. <laughs> what the fuck right? even was this? Ryback just there going, oh, I need my 10%. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's literally just a Ryback squash match. There's nothing to say about it. It's just, I mean, to start to even do handicap matches, like, I don't think I've ever seen one. And honestly, like, Hannon and Ruwaka? Really? <laughs> it's just, we have nothing to do. You know what it's like? Have you ever played Fire Pro Promoter Mode? Yes. Um, you, it's really annoying, right? Because you can't do like triple threats to four ways. So, like, if you have an odd number, you even need to leave them off the card or do two on one. So, what I used to do, I had a bear, like a bear, and I would put two on one against him. If they can beat the bear, they they get they get a contract. Simple, <laughs> but... reasonable. No one ever beat the bear. <laughs> uh, the bear. It was quite bad at one point. The bear became champion, but then was having bad matches. But I couldn't t- get the belt off him. But the fans loved him. But because he was having bad matches, I couldn't get new fans. It was an aw- it was an awful fucking endless loop. Um, just don't that, like pro tip: don't sign a bear. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the reason we're choking so much is because it's just it. it I, I ca- because of this match, the Ryback theme song has been stuck in my head for two fucking days. I just I don't understand the necessity of this match. I mean, Natsupoi wasn't even on this card. I mean, just put Himiko with Natsupoi and just make it a tag match. Making it a two-on-one <laughs> handicap match just it added nothing. No one was any more over for this match. I mean, did you come out of this and thinking, oh? Himika's such a bad, or more so than you'd thought already. It was just, it was such a weird card, and it was such a weird match to put together, and for it only to go four minutes. I mean, obviously you want Himika to destroy them, but like Hannah and Ruaka got moves in. There was like a double underhook fisherman suplex that, admittedly, looked pretty good. But oh, that's quite cool. Yeah, they should use that more often. They should, but <laughs> I ju- I am I'm at a loss as to why this needed to be on this card. On a Corican show as well, which are, you know, the meat and drink now to stardom. You look for big cards. And yes, I know they got Sendai Cinderella the next day, but fucking hell. Is this the best they could do with Himika? Really? (laughs) I gave it a three, mate. I'm not going to lie. I, I I forgot to put score next to it in my notes. It's a Ryback out of ten. Ryback out of ten. <laughs> um, match four. This is where we actually finally start to get some stuff that's worth talking about. Um, where Tam, Mina, and the Double Z, the aforementioned, um, the as of yet Deep unnamed job. Double Z, uh, defeated Mayu, Starlight Kid, and Goku in Death at 12 minutes and 32 seconds with the Tiger Suplex. Um, Tan introduces Double Z, who turns out to be Tokyo Joshi Pro's Himawari Yunagi, who's rechristened under her real name, uh, Yunagi Sayaka. Um, passive-aggressive Mayu is angry, Chris. <laughs> so angry. Um, I have... Because I feel now this is going to be more relevant than ever, I have to ask, would the second Star Wars match be called The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> Honestly, I don't, like I've said on the Discord, I don't think I've ever been more happy in a moment in podcasting than doing that joke. And I don't think I'll ever top it, so I'm, I'm never going to try again. I'm never going to crack another I mean, joke on this podcast ever. 
I mean, I'm quite happy with MSI Strikes Back, but okay. <laughs> um, this entire thing, I mean, Yunagi has a relatively short amount of ring experience. She debuted on the 4th of January 2009. She's similar to Mina in age at 31, which can only mean that Tam has got a type. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, right, I need them to have worked for TJPW, yep. be around Rob's age. Yep. Uh, <laughs> she specifically thought that. Yep. <laughs> and, um, be taller than me, which to be fair in Tam's case isn't hard. It's not but... hard, no. Um, but she's quite tall, isn't she, Nagy? How, how tall she is she? Looks she's five, tall. Six. She's five, six, so she looks pretty tall. She's 5'6", so she's taller than Garth. Um, <laughs> far as unnecessary. <laughs> um, yeah, I know next to nothing about her. So I couldn't, but yeah, she looked fine. Like I have more, I'm more positive coming out of the two matches she's had in Stardom so far than I was about Shikawa. So that can only be a good thing. Hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Just for. Mm. <laughs> Do you not agree? I'll talk about it more on the next night. Um. Oh. I think here the main story obviously is and. Uh, you know, it was what we talked about on the previous podcast that Mayu is getting extremely pissed off with Tam constantly bringing in these people with apparently not talking to Mayu first. There's lots of dead eyes. Um, Mayu constantly staring out Tam, looking eyes with her during pinfalls, being in a mode where she is a dick during offense, which is probably my yeah. favorite Mayu. There was a point in this match where they, were, they did the fucking Julia Tam thing where they were pulling each other's hair back for forearms and i was like damn things have gotten really heated really really fucking fast but even starlight kid was throwing bigger bombs than she normally would she had an exchange with yunagi where she was throwing forearms like i've never seen her do before so it's obviously permeating into other members of the group and if this is going to lead to some sort of i'm not going to say it again (laughs) imagine Uh, if this is going to break down into you know, some sort of, I'm not going to make the joke again, the Stars Civil War, if that's going to break down into that. I think it's good to establish those sides. And Starlight is quite obviously on Team Mayu, especially after this match, in case we didn't know anyway. Um, I enjoyed the cold handshake at the start. The fact that there was still, you know, the handshake, but it was fucking, Mayu was livid here. And the fact that Tam's team won, or Cosmic Angels, as they are now going to be referred to. Um, the fact that they won, and then post-match, there was still that stare-out. It was great. It was it was really, really good. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed this match far more than I thought it was going to be. Um, I am going to ask, though, Chris, obviously, at the moment, Cosmic Angels are a subset of stars, pretty much like the Elite and Bullet Club. Uh, is the best parallel I can draw. Um, my question to you is, um, is it Cosmic Angel's MO to trip acid before they give their fucking promos? <laughs> what the fuck were they talking about in that post? We're going to be in space and I'm going to be your cabin girl. I am to so be, to confused. Be to be completely fair, I wasn't all that lost because I've been watching a lot of Lucha Underground recently, and there's a, an Aerostar in Lucha Underground is literally a spaceship. So, like, he is a spaceship. So I was just sort of like, oh, they must be hanging out with Aerostar. 
Uh, do you think Gilgan Death has any idea what's going on around her? Not or even like, slightly. Like, or do you think it's like when a baby's parents get divorced? <laughs> it is hard to have a serious storyline with someone dressed in, and let's be honest, the cheapest clown outfit you can possibly buy. Walking into your local... Um, what, what's the makeup shop? Sephora? Sephora. Walking into Sephora and going, I'll have Mr. Tumble, please. Where do you think this is going? This entire thing? Because um, from the from the end of this match, you know, Tam and Mayu staring each other out, Tam in the ring, Mayu on the outside. This clearly isn't over. Now, Niagara Driver on the Discord, you know, she... They offer two certain possibilities you know you've got one where stars split and you've got two quite thin rosters or they stay together and this goes nowhere so what would you prefer to see would you just prefer that unrest until we get an inevitable tam mayu match or do you want to see stars split because ultimately you've got now got these six women who are in ring Hannon and Ruaka, you know, that they are going to be relatively small factions. So what would you like to see? What would you like to come out of this best-case scenario? Well, you know, best-case scenario, it has several installments and then ends with um, Rise of Shiakawa, but... <laughs> I'm not going to... I refuse. I refuse to acknowledge it. <laughs> The Death Awakens. God. <laughs> Revenge of the Death. <laughs> Go on. How do you think this is going to end? Um, be you a tiny menace. Okay, I'll stop now. Um, the, so, I think this is going to end with like them seceding just before a draft. Because I think there's so many like weird things going on with Stardom Factions right now that a draft is kind of necessary. Yeah, obviously we haven't basic, had one yet this basic, year. Yeah, we didn't have we we skipped it this year mostly because I I'm not sure if we would have had one, but I don't know I think this might come to a head. There'll be a faction war, and then post faction war we'll have a draft just to sort of reset everything, and we'll have a mini um like we'll have too many factions until one gets knocked out in the draft and then they'll just all have been sorted out again. Because we've also lost a faction this year, to be fair. So there's been a fair few people floating around factionless. So yeah, like ultimately I'd quite like it to end in the draft. Because I, yeah. I do like the drafts, especially since in the last one, Tam was bitchy because Arisa got picked before her. <laughs> I think that would be good. I think... A shake-up of the roster can't be a bad thing. I mean, one one faction that I think would benefit massively from it. I love I love the chemistry that Donna Del Mondo have got. I, I really do. I think they're probably the best faction in stardom. The problem is you have got three legitimate single stars there. You've got Julia and Suri who could both quite easily hold the red belt. You've got Himika who is going to be there in, what, 18 months? So... At the moment, you have a faction of five women where three of them are established singles stars. You, you are at some point going to have to break them off from one another because if one of them gets the red belt, then you are unlikely to see them challenge. I mean, I know Himika challenged Julia for the Y belt, but 
for the red belt. I don't know. It just seems that you would need to keep them separate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Has anyone from Stars challenged Mayu this year for the red belt? No. No, which is weird because didn't Tam beat Mayu in the five star? I can't remember. Yes, she did on the last night. Yeah. So that would have been a challenge right there. So. Well, that was what we talked about at the end of the last podcast, wasn't it? When we were talking about potential challenges, Tam could have, you know, if if May would retained against Utami, spoilers, um, then Tam had a legitimate claim to it along with Julia. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah. What did you yeah, give this? I, I I gave it a high seven. I thought it was really fun. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, which was a bit scary, was the handspring crossbody where we didn't give Tam quite enough height. No. No, I I do agree with that. And there's another moment late um, on the second night, which is very similar where they don't quite get enough height. There's quite a few actually moments in <laughs> in Sendai Cinderella that are quite scary. Um, Artist of Stardom Championship match with Oida Tai, the team of Natsukatora, Saki Kashima, and B Priestley defeating Donna Dalmondo, the champions Julia, Suri, and Micah at 18 minutes and 27 seconds, with B getting the pinfall after a Queen's landing. Um, this was the first match, Chris, where the whole we've got a big show tomorrow night. That this is the first match where it became really, really apparent. Because Julia was a complete non-entity in this match, mm-hmm. which is because the reason she was she was a non-entity mostly was because B and Shiri were setting up seeds for their match for the next night. But I, you're clearly using this to hype up Sendai, so why not put um, Tora or Saki with Rina earlier in the night and have Konami in this match? Yeah. You you're completely right. You had you had the chat. I mean, old. I mean, don't get me wrong. Saki did really well in this match. That you know the time she was in. But like you say, the majority of this match was B and Suri because they're the two that had the beef the following night. I mean, I thought it was bizarre that Suri was the one that took the pin, especially when Micah's in this match. It's not like you need to keep Micah strong for the future of Stardom Championship match. Um, but yeah, why not have Konami in this? Do you need Saki? in this match no especially if that way then you can set up konami julia and suri versus b it, it makes perfect sense it you know it's just one one change saki and rina versus hina and rio yeah i i completely agree with you um i thought b grew into it after having an ass handed to her in the opening exchanges which i quite liked thought that was good um micah only really comes in for brief bursts of power but her sort of stuff with torah was really quite enjoyable. Um, shenanigans didn't bother me too much. Again, in this match, it actually led to a finish. Using the chain to stop people getting into the ring to break up pinfalls is exactly how a chain should be used. So Tora is stopping Julia to getting in to break up a pinfall by literally lassoing her with the chain. That's exactly how it should be used. And if we continue to use it like that and not use it in the ridiculously lame and trotted out ways we've continued to use it, I'll be happy, Chris. I don't want much in life. That's all I want. What do you think Natsuko Tora's favourite Fleetwood Mac song is? Um, Go your own way. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's an absolute bop. I was going to say she seems more like a Peter Green era type person. Yeah, those LSD blues sort of. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, 
I can see her thinking rumors is a bit poppy. Um, but ultimately, look, it's like, you know, she's just massive into the pixies. Anyway, um, that, that was weird. Uh, yeah, I do agree that's how the chain should be used. I still think it should be something different from a chain because it's, you can hear it. It's so loud. It is so like, loud. You, like, I, I watched the Cody versus Brody Lee match for the first time last week and, like, just the amount of times the chain's been used in Sardom has just ruined just ruined any chance that match had with me. Mm. But yeah, this, the actual match itself, most people are non-entities here, actually. Like, Micah um, was fine, but again, Julia was a non-entity. This is mostly just setting up Shuri and B, like everyone else, to sort of just faded into the background for the most part. Completely agree. I mean, I do agree with the title change. I think it keeps Oida Tai relevant, and it does make sense. Um, but, you know, we have seen iterations of this match before, so, you know, I found it hard to get excited about it. Um, we keep B strong. Suri did look like a badass, you know, considering she was the one that took the pinfall, and it did take a chair shot to the head and a Queen's Landing to keep her down, so... Ultimately, it didn't give a weep that much. I agree. Yeah, especially considering what happened the next night. Um, Jesus Christ. And then B cut one of her promos. Apparently, Julia sucks, Micah sucks, Shiri sucks, and we all need a reminding, apparently, Momo sucks. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> there is either going to have to be some sort of payoff to this where Momo kicks the fucking head off B Priestley, or she's going to have to stop this because, honestly, I don't care about it anymore. It's it's not you know funny. It's just it 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 doesn't it yeah just stop it. Cause it's getting boring and repetitive now. Prefree who strikes me as that person who listened to March of a Black Parade once in um, school and then decided I don't care what everyone thinks about me, but they actually really do. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've got nothing else to say about it. The the pro and then she there is sort of a payoff. Um, on the next night, but yeah, just the re- same thing over and over again. Every time a weed tag win a match, every time they won a match in tag league, every time they win an undercard tag match, it's the same thing. So it's, there's no variation of it either. It's the same thing. If there was a variance of it, I wouldn't mind as much. But just shut the fuck up. Um, I found it really hard to get into this match, Chris, and I don't know what it was. Um, I don't know whether it's because I could tell that they were only working half speed because people had got matches the next day, or if I just, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it, but I only gave it a six. I get a six as well. It was fine. I like, I had a tie and DDM never seemed to mix all that well together. No. I think it's because we kind of have conflict, because at that point it's basically, I don't care heels versus I don't care heels, and it's like, well, Chris doesn't care either. <laughs> Um, let's move on then to the main event, which was match six, Goddesses of Stardom title match with the champions Aphrodite defeating and retaining their championships over Momo AZ at 23 minutes and six seconds with the German suplex. Now, I've seen, and I spoke, this, spoke to you about this before we came on air, Chris, I've seen people slag this off and give it a five on cage match. And I honestly have to ask, are they watching the same fucking match? I mean, I'm never not going to be here for these four in the ring together. And it was another really good match. I mean, for me, it's not quite stardom is again levels, but it's certainly a really, really good chapter in the Queen's Quest versus Queen's Quest anthology. I thought this was a really good match. Yeah, 
Um, bombs were thrown, which, you know, is an easy way to my hat. And yeah, it was, again, what sort of struck me with Saddam is again of how good that was, was it was a surprise. Like you didn't see it being as good as it was. You thought it was just going to be a bit of a nothing tag match to get everyone into it. And then we came out all guns blazing. And then neither of the matches sort of lived up to that so far, including this one. But this one was still really good. Um, Azumi's getting so much better. Like her timing is fucking impeccable. Like, Completely agree. Incredible. Like that Hurricane Rana on the um um from through the ropes into the ring. Um again, I don't think Utami was working as hard in this one as she was in the other ones, but like she did have a title match the next day, so that sort of makes sense. Um yeah, this this was another good one. But like again, all, everyone in this ring is really good. So it's always gonna be like a baseline six or seven out of ten. You're never really gonna get a bad match with this, but like you know they went above and beyond here. So yeah, it's I I do agree. It's not like the five out of ten match like for me like a five out of ten match is what we got earlier in the night. And like the tag matches they're like bang average, but this was far above average. I enjoyed it. Well what what I've done is I've sort of noted some of the criticisms and I've sort of had my own opinion. So one of the big criticisms was that the Azumi vs. Utami closing stretch was a bit lame. And I thought that was nonsense. I thought having Utami locked in the armbar and then Azumi using her own legs to trap Utami as she goes for the ropes was fantastic. I thought the two had tremendous chemistry. And I do agree with you. I don't think Utami quite put the amount of effort that she put into the previous two matches. But it wasn't massively noticeable. It, she wasn't a non-entity like Julia in the previous match. You know, she still went. She still took some really, really stiff... I mean, that Hurricane Rana, she sold like fucking death. It was great. It was really, really good. And Hang on, so when she went to the ground, she went death. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the storyline as well between Momo and Saya because they reverted back to Momo sort of going on to the you aren't on my level sort of thing with Saya. And there was a quiet determination on Saya, especially was in that sleeper hold. She just had that determination in her face not to tap out. You know, I'm not going to submit. And I thought that was a really a really understatable, really cool plot point, especially going back to the stardom is again match, the initial match in this trilogy where we talked about how Momo wanted to raise Saya to her level you know, to be a part of Queen's Quest. Now that she is a part of Queen's Quest, she is a champion. It's more a case of you are not on my level. And I thought that was a really nice thing to add into this. I will say, yeah, and this seems to be the main criticism about this match, it did go too long. Yeah, 23 minutes was a bit on the long side. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I was sort of mentally done with this around the 15, 16 minute match. Mark and I guess why we, I get why we did it because we went to a twenty-minute draw in Sadamins again, so like not somewhat naturally to get a win outside of a tag league where you're going to rest naturally rest a difference because of the um, restrictions put upon you with a time limit. So uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. I just don't want a match that long though for the tag tag belt. Like fifteen minutes is plenty. I've said if we trimmed four minutes off this match, five minutes off this match, we'd easily be looking at a nine. You know, a really, really, um, really good match. 
Yeah, it'd be looking like a high eight, low nine. Yeah. As it is, it's like high seven, low eight. Do you think there was there was some pressure on these two teams? I mean, you look up and down this card, and this is without a doubt one of the weakest Corican shows they've put out. I mean, you look at this, we've got no singles matches. One singles match, I apologise, but it was a debut of a rookie, and it opened the show. There's no real drawing match. No offence to Oedetai, and I know Oedetai have really big fans dating back to, you know, before um, Kagetsu's era. Um, I mean, the Kagetsu... You know what I mean. Before Kagetsu left, is what I meant. Um... But no one's no one's coming to Corrigan to see Oida Tai versus Donna Del Mondo for the forty you know fortieth time. You know, I no, I'd be going to see you know Ryback. Right <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, you've got a decent singles wrestler in Himika, and she's wasted in a complete ridiculous match. You know, you've the only other match that I can honestly say with any sort of justification that's worth watching is the Stars versus Stars match. And that's not because the match was anything tremendous, but because of the furthering of the storyline between Tam and Mayu. Do you think that the two Queen's Quest teams felt that pressure then to go that long because... Or do you think... Sorry, the people who book it, should I say, felt pressure to go that long because there wasn't a lot else on on this Corican card. Maybe. It's weird, because, like, nothing needed more time. So, like, I think that might be it, but at the same time, Corican shows, and I've said this in the last few podcasts, Corican shows aren't Corican shows anymore, just because of what places can hold. So, it does kind of make sense that they're not, that they feel more like the filler shows we'd normally be seeing in, like, Osaka or... Um, Shinkiba mm. because that's in terms of where the money is that's basically where we are now so I'm trying to get out of the sentimentality of the Corican shows of the pay-per-views because as it stands they're B shows as it stands and I'm not massive back because I do love Corican I love how Corican looks I love it as a setting for classic matches but that's just not what it's going to be for the next wee while until full attendance can happen again I think which is absolutely fine, and I completely agree. But it wasn't a great card for anywhere. No. <laughs> like, yeah, but like, even on like just the story progression level, when you look at the stories progressed here, like even there was a match going in with Julia and Konami the next night, and I desperately needed some more story. So front Konami and that would have might have fixed this night a lot for me. Um, because the only real stories furthered are um, Himika is now Ryback. <laughs> um, the Star Wars are going on because Tam wants to go solo. Um, <laughs> Oedetai are still bastards, but he still really doesn't like Momo. And the Queen's Quest Civil War sort of reached its climax. So but there's a fair bit of story here, but like in terms of like the main events for the upcoming shows, it didn't really progress that very much no let's move on then chris and let's move on to in fact no just before we do that what did you give the tag match um high seven that's 
exactly what I've put in my notes. So we're pretty much... Uh, oh, babe. Oh, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to the 15th of November, the Sendai Cinderella show from the Sendai Sun Plaza in front of 508 people. First thing I'm going to point out, and we've already had this discussion very, very briefly um, before we came on air, Chris. 508 people. We've talked before, and in the COVID era, it's not a great barometer for crowd attendance uh, because obviously you're having to limit numbers. However, you look at Corican Hall, which for all intents and purposes is a smaller venue. Corican Hall, they drew 568 with the shit card we've just talked about. Here they only drew 508. If I can just quickly go back in history a little bit, in Sendai in general, stardom have never really drawn well, and they've never really been there. I mean, this year they've held the Sendai Cinderella show, which we're obviously going to be talking about. They held the five-star Grand Prix night four earlier this year there. In 2019, they ran one show in Sendai. Again, Stardom Grand Prix. Um... In 2018, they ran one show. In 2017, they ran one show, which means that in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, in four years, they've only ran four shows in Sendai before this show. And I understand the positivity going forward. You know, we want to do bigger venues, and that's applaudable, and it is something that I am all on board for. You heard the excitement as we heard that they were going to try Nippon Budokan, which is just an absolutely amazing thing, and I'm still buzzing about that. And people will say, yes, but it's COVID. Okay, well, as a comparison, and I know that New Japan are a far bigger entity than Stardom. I am perfectly aware of that. But on the 9th of September, New Japan ran a New Japan Road Show, okay, which are never the blow away cards that you want you know they're they are not even b show they're c show cards okay and they drew 914 people over 400 more than this show and you look at this card you look at the stardom sendai cinderella card they put everything they could onto this card you've got utami versus mayu on top and you've got julia and konami semi-maining and they drew 508 people. And I know, yes, okay, COVID, but 700 people. You know, just under 700 people. You wouldn't necessarily consider that a bad draw in the current climate. The current climate, I think 900 may have been overreaching slightly, but just over 500 people, less than Corican, in a territory where they don't run shows. I don't know. Was this a success for you, Chris? Attendance-wise? Um, I don't know what they were expecting, so I really couldn't comment on that. Um, for you, personally, it's, do you think it's, this it's, was good or bad? I mean, the on, the shows they've run in Sendai before... They've run at Sendai Pit, which is, I think, 300 and something. 
So the maximum they've drawn over those four years was 300 and something people, and they've drawn 150 on the other days. So why did they think that we want to run a big show, we're going to run it in a place where we have notoriously never drawn above 300 people? Maybe they thought they could get, like, just speaking to someone who's booked venues before, sometimes your venue just doesn't want to give it to you on that particular day. So it might just be that. What day was the show on the 15th? Is that uh, that's a Sunday, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so we don't even have that going. Yeah, I literally just don't think Sunday is a market for them in that case. I don't know. Maybe it's just because we don't go there often and Sendai already have like a regular Joshi League, don't they? We have best Sendai girls. girls. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just, just most people are very loyal to send their girls or something. I literally could not comment. I'm just, we, this is the first thing that comes to my head. I don't think that's a bad draw. Like if, literally if this was them running a fairly big show in, like say if they, if they said, oh, they drew 500 for a show, big show in Nagoya, we wouldn't bat an eyelid. So I don't think that it's as bad as we're making out. <laughs> I do agree to a certain extent. And I know that we're drawing parallels between Corican and um, Sendai Sun Plaza. And Corican is, you know, stardom's hunting ground. They've sold out Corican before. I just don't think that 508 people in this venue and 508 of the fucking quietest people you could ever wish to draw on a wrestling show, which we will fucking get into in a minute. I just, I I don't, I don't see how that's a success in the venue you are looking to run. And I think Stardom would have been looking for more people. They would have been looking for yeah, higher like attendance it's... than 508 people. Maybe. Maybe. It's, it, it, at the worst, it's just a lesson to not run um, streets or high in Sendai or at least get, throw a lot more at Sendai. Mm. So... Like I say, the only times they've run Sendai are in the last two years or the five-star. So maybe do exactly another so. couple of shows at the Pitties here and sort of build a market there before you go gung-ho and try and book a bigger venue. Yeah. I, yeah, basically just that. <laughs> anyway, let's let's look at the card then. So match one, Future of Stardom Championship. Micah defeated Saya Ida at eight minutes and nine seconds with the Enka Atoshi. Nothing against Saya at all. I love Saya in-ring. But Micah felt like a damn star when she comes out. And she is a real cut above in the way she's packaged, from the way she's carrying herself, to the robe, to the banging entrance theme, which genuinely might be my favourite in stardom. And the way she struts to the ring, she feels like a star. Yeah, and especially... look compared to Saya, who kind of just carries herself like a young lion, Micah carries herself um, of so, not befitting someone of her experience, because she's only been around for like a year, hasn't mm. she? So, yeah, I do agree. She's got the swagger down at the very least. All she needs to do now is like watch some tapes of Conor McGregor and start smack talking. <laughs> just, someone price the swagger off and she's just like, who the fuck is this guy? It's just, yeah. Do you think she's got Con- what it takes to be like a top person in stardom? I know it's early days yet, okay. but from what you've seen, do you yeah, think well, she's like- got something? 
if I'm power ranking the rookies, it's sort of Sire, her, and then small Sire. So I think I just realized there's two Sires when I was power ranking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she definitely has tons of potential. She, she sells some stuff to work out. Like her power game isn't perfect yet. It was better in this match, but that um, finisher she's been using looks a lot better here than it mm, has. Absolutely. But again, she's a rookie. She's got shit to iron out, but in terms of like placement, yeah, I can definitely see her going, at least being a contender within the next few while, because she does get better, and especially in terms of how carrying it, she carried herself, because she's kind of just a stoic nothing at the beginning, a bit like Julia, and now she's showing a bit more personality, so yeah, definitely, she has potential, just Potential sometimes go, goes away, so it's sort of just watch this pass. Um, this is a horse match, which is great. I love the fact that we see a different side of Sire, who actually dominates this match, which is bizarre. I didn't think that would be the way this match went down. Um, she's playing to the non-existent crowd, chopping Micah. She's got that resilience, that never-say-quit attitude, um, especially after she gets up after that first fucking clothesline. It was like a thunderous clothesline she just gets back up sort of yells in Micah's face and then Micah puts her down with the anchor Atoshi but I think she did herself a lot of favours in this match it was the most fiery I've seen Sayurida is the most comparative to what you said it's the the least like a young lion she's looked like she looked like she was a legitimate contender in this match, not just a token defence, which is what we both said she was at the end of the last podcast when we looked ahead to this show. Yeah, she looked much better here than I expected. Like It's nothing blow away, but it's a perfect opener in that sense because you don't want your opener to steal your show. We've actually been at shows. We went at um, UK Takeover when the opener's so good that it kind of kills the next match. Yeah. It didn't kill it there, but like that can happen. Like the next few matches after the high speed match at Yokohama, we just didn't care. Didn't care about Shikawa's um, debut. I didn't care about Natsupoi's debut because we had just had like a great match before that. So this is like perfectly what you want for an opener. Yeah. And I must admit, I, I think I did enjoy it more than you. I thought it was far better than I thought it was going to be. I don't think it quite lives up to Micah versus Saya Kamatani from Corican a couple of weeks ago, but it was still a very good match. I'd give it a high six, low seven. Yeah, I'm feeling like a six on this one. It was a good match. Moving on then, match two, a five-way with Starlight Kid defeating Hina, Saya Kamatani, Riho and Hanan with a moonsault press at seven minutes and six seconds. Riho put in yet another prevalent high spot on the card um this match <laughs> was all the tropes i hate crammed into a seven minute match yeah i was watching this thinking rob's gonna fucking hate this and then i'm gonna just because i i i enjoyed it um like the sort of pwg thing at the beginning where everyone's arm is twisted i i liked it i can i can hear you seething on the other side of the country but <laughs> I thought it was fun. Um, the moonsault from Starlight was beautiful. Um, some nice exchanges between Starlight and um, Sire, which is a combination of which we got more of. But yeah, apart from that, just, it, it was fine for us placement on the card. It was exactly what it had to be. 
we had a circle of wrist locks, a five-person suplex <laughs> that then randomly included the referee. We had the human caterpillar <laughs> of head scissors that then had Saya Kamatani doing the Boston Crab on the war on the end and everyone selling their back, which, why, why, why? Um, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I enjoyed nothing about this match aside from Starlight Kids, Moonsault, which quite a few people on Twitter were comparing it to an Io Shirai Moonsault. I don't think it's quite there yet, but it's certainly got the makings to be as nice as Io Shirai's. It's got a different form. Like, they both fall differently. I don't think they're comparable. They're both nice moonsaults, but they're not, like, comparable moonsaults in that sense. It's sort of like people who compare, like, Io Shirai's moonsault to, say, Kurt Angle's, because Kurt Angle also had a great moonsault. Yeah. But they're very, very different moonsaults at the same time. So, yeah. It it was still really good, though, especially since it's, I, I don't remember her pulling it out, um, out from the top rope before, so. It's here when you notice that the crowd in Sendai are shit. Like, oh, yeah, quiet I mean, as fuck. Yeah, like, is it, is it that hard to clap? <laughs> I'm going to say this like, now. I, there are two matches which I loved that I think really, really suffered because the crowd could not be asked to get off their hands. The, the stardom wrestlers, yeah. the people at ringside, the people in the ring, had to work so fucking hard to get these twats off their fucking hands. There was just there was moments where you just clap. Like at the start of the match, the main event, as the bell rang, you clap because it's the start of the main event. Nothing. Absolute silence. Crickets. To the point where you can hear the referee, you can hear the springs on the fucking ropes. That is how quiet that arena was. And Yeah, and what you still have to understand partly with us is that we're like we're mostly used in terms of live crowds. Well, obviously, that's what we're completely used to is um, when we're in attendance is British crowds who are very loud. And it's almost like it almost felt like an empty arena at points. Like, I swear to God, it it was louder in Vegeta versus Goji Izaki. And that was half an hour of two old men staring at each other. And yeah, just it was weird because even my local fed was just like, family friendly one so there's not a ton of chanting because most of our most chants in scotland use the word fuck or cunt or something and like that gets louder so i don't i don't know i really don't know why they weren't making crowd but one thing i can think of was if it's a half empty arena it's gonna be you're gonna feel more self-conscious about making noise but at the same time just all arenas in the current climate are half empty and like Yokohama was loud. Like I watched the Noah show from Yokohama last night and that was super fucking loud. So yeah, it's annoying and we're going to try not to harp on it. But at the end of the day, imagine if um, Walter versus Bate from TakeOver didn't have that crowd. Well, I'm only, I'm only going to mention it in one more match, but you compare this, you put this show in front of the Yokohama Cinderella crowd, who were red hot for absolutely everything that they had on this show. And three or four of these matches are completely different matches. Mm -hmm. Like, um, on points on the Yokohama show, I completely forgot that it was a COVID crowd. Exactly. Like, because the collapse kind of just overtook the chance. Just, yeah, the crowd... 
I don't want to say they ruined it for me because that's very melodramatic, but <laughs> they ruined a lot. They spoiled quite a few of the matches. You know what this reminds me of? Um, weirdly, was with crowds ruining things. I So I was at Transmit watching The Ice of Monkeys years ago. And I later went on YouTube to like watch it back because I was like, that crowd is loud. And like, it literally, you can hear the crowd over Alex Turner's vocals. It's great. But there's one guy in the comments going, Why the crowd being so loud? I want to hear the actual riffs. And it's like, Why don't you listen to the recorded version, man? You cunt. <laughs> um, I was really melodramatic with this rating. I gave it three. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, I like this match. I like that stupid shit. Like, it's weird because, like, out of both of us, I'm the one who likes shoot fighting, but I was like, and like watches MMA and shit. But also, I love stupid shit like this. I find it really entertaining, especially when it's at this point in the card. Because at this point in the card, it's 100% harmless. And this match wasn't going to get over that much anyway. So they might as well, like, have fun. And, like, this is a good way to have fun and not use too much on your bump card. So I enjoyed it. Like, it's just going to be a very much, I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it match. You're not going to have massively strong feelings either way. But I, this, I liked it. I, I do like that stuff. I mean, like, I do watch PWG where Jason Fundaliga suplexed several people with his ass. So That's true. I'm probably talking to the wrong person about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gave it like a high five, low six. No, you're wrong. Um, I'm not wrong. Match three, then. So the Cosmic Angels of Mina Shirakawa, Tam Nakano, and Yunagi Sayaka defeat Oida Tai, Natsukatora, Rina, and Saki Kashima at 10.58 with the GSS. This was another match that also fell a bit flat and was a bit crap, and not just because it contained Oida Tai. Um, I'm going to moan here. Um, <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> It's weird because I'm usually the positive one. Um, I don't get. <laughs> we seem to we seem to swap. We do. I don't get Unagi, like at all. Um, not in the same way as I didn't get Mina. As at least Mina had an offense to improve. Unagi just doesn't seem to have anything, like nothing of any notes whatsoever. Like. We talked about Mina's first matches and we talked about her, you know, you weren't a fan of the pendulum hold. Um, you know, you aren't a fan of the takedown. N- neither am I. But you aren't a fan of the... I'm still not a fan of that fucking... I'm still not a fan of that fucking... Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But can you tell me anything at all, move-wise, that you like or dislike from Yunagi over the two nights? Hold on. Let me consult my notes. Um, from what I remember and from what I've noted down, she has a leg drop, and that is it. Yeah, she wasn't overly used, was she? <laughs> yeah, but Chris, I'm not being funny. Not... She was in the ring for the majority of both matches. She did and added nothing. And I know that we're two matches in, and she's been in six-man tags both times. And yes... Potentially, I'm going to have to wait to see her in singles competition before passing final judgment, and I understand that. And, you know, we've seen how quickly Mina Shirakawa turned round, and we we noted that, you know, as, as recently as the last podcast. But I just, I've got... I'm so apathetic to what... You, her first match 
You want it to be a showcase to display what she's got. And again, I know that she's only got... She'll have two years ring experience in January. But she has nothing. Like, there's no flashy move. She wasn't the one who got the win in either match. Which was utterly bizarre. I just... I. She's... There was a set that my dad used to say, saying, uh, there was a saying my dad used to say that she's like a sprig of mint in a vindaloo. She might as well not fucking be there. <laughs> Is that how you fucking talk? And yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. Oh, we're, we're violinced, don't mate. It's better than the saying my dad used to, and still has. He just used to say life shit and then you die. <laughs> I just, Which is, I think, that explains a lot about yeah. me. I think, I think it boils down to the fact that I'm just, I'm not a fan of this whole Cosmic Angels thing at the moment. It's, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like it. I don't, I don't. You know how my brain works weirdly sometimes? As soon as you say Cosmic Angels, I just, in my head, sang Cosmic Angels to Muppet Babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I I don't hate Inagi as much. Like honestly, the way Shiakawa turned around has just taught me not to judge for Tokyo Joshi imports as harshly. I, d- I don't hate her. I want to make that abundantly clear. I do not hate her. If I hated her, it means that she's done something wrong. I just I feel <laughs> really, really apathetic towards her because, like, when Mina first debuted, she debuted angry. in a singles match for a start. Um, she hit the implant DDT. Which was straight away, okay, that's her move. And the GSS, which she hit, I think, the following night. You, we've, I've seen nothing of Yunagi's offense. I've seen nothing that's made me think, fucking hell, she's got potential. You know, and again, I know with too much sin, I am, I am going to wait. I know it doesn't sound like I'm going to, but I am going to wait for singles competition to judge it properly. I just... Well, to be fair, I don't think you're that outlined because I'm clicking on... Because when... when... Um, Shiakawa came in. We were surprised by her cage match rating because she had an, like an average of around an eight. I'm clicking on Unagi's now. No one's bothered to rate her, so she can't have done much in um, Tokyo Joshi. If, can, if anyone actually watch, because I know people who listen to us watch Tokyo Joshi, can someone tell us what she was actually like there, so we can have like a baseline of what to expect? Because when we were talking about Shiakawa, uh, we were told about some stuff she did in Tokyo Joshi, and then like. Okay, so there's a reason people there's hype behind her. Like so like if anyone actually watched Toki Joshi, can someone like tell us um what she was like there? Because she seems to be because she was in like the Princess Cup, so she's had some she must have some moves. <laughs> yeah. Like is my point. So um but like apart from that, this match was fine. I'm again Shiakawa is shooting up in terms of quality. Tam's always fun. Um, Rina was the obvious fall person and I'm happy that Oedotai finally have an, an obvious fall person because it means we're getting away from these fucking DQs thank good merciful fucking Christ <laughs> um, but yeah apart from that this is like a standard six man match I didn't hate it I didn't love it that back fist still happens is she just keeping that to make me hate her because I don't want to hate her just drop the back fist this is the only time when the back fist actually made sense it was it was actually a really good transition. Someone was running at Tam. Tam ducked and Mina hit him with the back fist. It's just a shame she okay, doesn't cool. deliver it very well. No, that's because it may be because 
I'm such a big Kenta Kabashi fan who has obviously oh, it's not a I genuinely a thought then you were going to break out Kenta Miyahara I was like I'm readying the alarm I'm readying the alarm Jesus Christ you're going to eventually just make that a fucking audio asset aren't you um, <laughs> I've told you mate it's going to be our first shop our first uh, shirt our first t-shirt in the shop I like that like because like this is the first podcast where someone might actually buy a t-shirt I doubt it and I'm not being <laughs> we're two knobheads on the like, internet I doubt it mate yeah yeah, yeah but like your mum might buy one <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> yeah um, who's Kento uh, Miyahara beep, 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 beep. <laughs> no but yeah the uh, just but also like I'm a massive fan of Eddie Kingston who obviously has a good one because he's been doing it for Years and even like Aja Kong, who like obviously that's a shoot, <laughs> that's, that actually knocks people out. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's just because I love the back fist as a move already, and I so like it's like people who really look out for how DDTs yeah. are done. No, I get it. Quite frankly, I get like, so I don't know. Maybe she'll get better, but like I don't know. At this point, I think she'd actually have to shoot because she, you know, what it is she doesn't do it fast enough. It's almost like she turns in slow motion. No, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It's the sound as well. It's the slap. It's like it wouldn't slap. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing. It's like I can see that you're slapping your leg. Stop it. Much as we're piling on Mina, Mina has improved fantastically. No, that's the thing. Mina, literally, the back fist is basically my sole problem with Mina Shikara at this point. Um, I'm, what did you rate this match, Chris? Five, maybe a six. Okay. I've never heard you sound more deflated. Just, I, I think it is because I just I don't like the team. I just I don't. <laughs> it's because they're dissing on May. Do you not like it when people diss? I think on that's May? what it is. No, I I don't know. I just I think it was because, like, I, I didn't really see it in the previous match because it was a storyline about Mayu and Tam, and that sort of overtook everything. And Yunagi was sort of being beaten pillar to post in an overly vicious way, but in this match, I don't know, I just, I see the, I see the, that's not a word, I saw her as, um, I don't know, nothing, really. She was in the ring and nothing happened and it was all, I don't know, a bit by the numbers. Anyway, let's let's move on to a different match. The uh, match four, we had the high-speed title match with the champion Azumi defeating Gokukan Death at three minutes and 20 seconds. Christ, Chris, this was short. Um, well, yeah, most high-speed matches are. It was one minute away from being the perfect time. I've put, this This is my initial note, <laughs> it was a Gokikin death match wrestled at Azumi's pace. It was weird, because, like, it was literally just the start of every death um, tag match, but with a finish. Well, I, even Gokikin death knows that the crowd's, crowd's a lost cause because she doesn't bother with her shtick at the start. Yeah, she does it near the end just because if she doesn't do it, it feels weird. <laughs> um, I enjoy for the three minutes that they are in the ring. I actually quite enjoyed this match. Azumi working the arms until Death starts using that against her and rolling her up, which I thought was great. Um, closing sequence with all the flash pins was really, really good. I just wish we could have had just maybe even just a minute longer. Um, well, if it was a minute later before. Longer before 20. We, well, maybe I know by cutting or shortening the last match because that match went 11 minutes and there's not a chance in hell that needed to go 11 minutes. So 
maybe just give this <laughs> another minute. Have another no, round. no, I'm done now. I don't know. I, I enjoyed this um, match. Considering it's a Gokikin death match, <laughs> you know, there's oh, very little you can expect. Former high speed champion. Yeah, I know. Former high speed champion. All the shit. She, she beat Hazuki, who has a very long reign. She was like 208 days. And not the. Mary Apache is the. Huh, that's weird. I didn't expect Mary Apache to be the. Uh, how random. I guess not random. She's an imp. Oh, well. I'm. I'm going, yeah, this is fine, but I don't really have anything to sink my teeth into with this one because it's very brief. I'm trying to think of a metaphor. It is the Tummock's Tea Cake of wrestling. <laughs> what? It's, it doesn't last long, but you enjoy it while it's on, but you don't really think about it after it's finished. It's the what? The Tummock's Tea Cake of wrestling. What the fuck is a Tummock's Tea Cake? You don't know what Tomax tea cake is. I think I speak for the masses when I say no. A tea cake? You don't know what a tea cake is? Like for chocolate with like cream in the middle and it's like a biscuit at the bottom. That's not a tea cake. That's, it's, it's a Tomax tea cake. A tea cake. cake's a like a um, like a flowery sort of cake thing with raisins in it. You've never seen a Tomax tea cake? Oh, Tonic's tea cake. Oh, I, was I saying tum- I'm stupid? Yeah, Tunnock's Tea Cake. No, I haven't heard of them either. What? Oh, you southern, <laughs> like, you southern piece of shit. I'm going to bring this up with Garth later and he's going to be... Yeah, Tunnock's Tea Cake. Everyone knows what Tunnock's Tea Cake is. Yeah, well, Hang Garth's on. Geordie but... eats well weird shit. <laughs> it's nice, though. <laughs> okay, I've put, I've put a link to what Tunnock's Tea Cake is. In the... Into, the, into the chat. Okay. Into the Discord. Um, Have a quick look. Um, but yeah, this match. Well, he looks up what a Tonic Tea Cake is. Um, this match was good, and I I liked it. But again, I have absolutely no massive thoughts on it. It was just the beginning of every Death Tag League match, but in a singles match. So it it was fun. I'd give it like I, I don't think it's possible to rate this one. Quite frankly, I give it a five. I like say it was it was average. I enjoyed it. Oh, this is what a tea cake. Oh, that's not what we call these down here. What do you call them down I, there? I then? don't know, but we don't call them Tonics Tea Cakes. <laughs> then how do you ask for one? Give me one of those chocolate marshmallow things. <sighs> I hate I hate myself. <laughs> um yeah, I gave it five. Let's move on. Um match five then saw Momo Watanabe defeat Himika um at the eleven minutes and one second with the Peach Sunrise. Chris, what did you think of this match? Fine. It was fine. Nothing, nothing to overly write home about. This is like the median of Himika's five star, but against Momo, um, Momo's fire was good because that's always great. She wasn't hitting as hard. Weirdly, I expected her to hit like really hard to compensate for how fucking huge Himika is, but she didn't. It was kind of just. It was. It almost felt like a house show match. In that respect, like, the one good thing I'm really pulling from this match was the protection of the Peach Sunrise has meant that um, Momo hitting Himiko with the Peach Sunrise while while still establishing the hierarchy within Stardom doesn't make Himiko look bad because she had to pull out the Peach Sunrise, so. Absolutely, and we, we, we rave all the time about their use of secondary finishes, and that's helped with the elevation of the Peach Sunrise. Um Going back to what you said about the strikes, you know, I enjoyed the fact that Himika was playing on Momo's hot-headedness. She targeted the back initially with some backbreakers, some Boston Crabs, 
um, both in an attempt to weaken her for the Batbreaker and that knowing that Momo, she can goad Momo into striking, which will hurt her back even more. And that's why I think we weren't seeing the strong strikes we're used to from Momo because of that initial working of the bat by Himika. Um, there was a brilliant moment and it was moment of the match for me where Momo, we talked about the reversal of the kitchen bomb into a B driver on the uh, previous podcast. Wasn't quite as good, but it was still very, very smooth where Himika goes for the running power bomb and Momo reverses it into the B driver. And it's just, it's, it's stupendous. Looked really, really good. Really seamless again. Um, Himika keeps getting better and better. Isn't hurt by the loss. Momo finally gets a high-profile singles win for the first time in what seems like fucking ages. Um, so that'll be building to something we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast. It was a good match. It wasn't great. And I do agree with you. It sort of was there. And I think that's an issue for me with this show. And we'll, we'll go into that once we sort of talk about our final thoughts about the show. But that's an issue I have with the undercard of this show as a whole and that actually includes the next match um chris what did you give this um i'm feeling a high six yeah i, I gave it six so that works for me right match six then was for the swa undisputed world women's title match uh Suri defeating b Priestley, the champion at 11 31 with the blue dragon and it turns out chris you can get round all of the booking issues we were talking about in the last podcast by just up and changing the rules okay she doesn't quite change the rules she says i'm part filipina so i'm gonna wrestle under that thing people do it in football over time no she used that. the phrase i'm going to change the rules that was the phrase she used okay Okay, yeah, but that doesn't sound as good as I'm going to go under this heritage. So, do, I mean, she just she she just wanted to sound cool, Rob. She's so, edgy. do you not think that this is going to be a regular thing now, where it's just another belt in stardom? I think she's using a technicality to also put it against Japanese natives because there's literally one guy in the whole promotion right now, um, and then it would just revert back as soon as he goes into another guy. So. Um. Yeah, I agree. Um. Just I don't know. <laughs> It certainly gets rid of a lot of the awkwardness of shit, I've run out of challenges now, which we were talking about before. So, I don't know, maybe they should get rid of the rule full stop um, because you're only going to have this issue once someone someone else gets that because you've only got a certain amount of guys, you know, people of non-Japanese denomination that are going to be able to challenge for the belt. So, it does hamstring you slightly in a booking sense, this title, anyway. Um I didn't feel this match at all, Chris. Like, it honestly, was, no. It was fine. It was... It kind go on. Of, they kind of just went through the motions, I felt. There was no real through line. They kind of just did moves until the end. Shiri looked good, and like, as she always does. Like, every time I see Shiri, um, I just think of, like, Ring of Honor and Brian Danielson's uh, um, chant, which is, you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. Which I, I like, I wish... If I ever see Shiri live, I'm going to try and get a chance of that going. <laughs> Actually, no, because I'd be in Japan and they'd just look at me like I'm a twat. Um, but yeah, like it was fine. B's very hit and miss, as we've discussed before, and this was a bit of a miss. I know, but it didn't seem to gel. Like, we never quite got into that rhythm. A bit of a miss, mate. We weren't even the same fucking arena. 
honestly, I don't know what it was. I somehow ended up in Wembley. I, I don't know whether it was the fact that Suri got absolutely no offence in at all until she submitted B at the end. The fact that B seemed like she was stuck on half speed. The fact that there was no discernible chemistry between the two. Maybe it was the lack of crowd, but there was no heat. There was no fire. Um, B targeted the leg briefly and then completely forgot all about it. It was just a really drab match that plodded with, like you say, no sense of through line, no sense of story, no sense of urgency. It was really dull. And, I mean, I said, I think, two or three podcasts ago that Siri could have a seven-star match with a broom. Well, it turns out B Priestley is that broom that she can't have a seven-star match with because this was dull. Like, like really, yeah. really dull. Yeah, B Priestley isn't so much a Nimbus 2000 as she is one of the brooms who get handed out to the poor students at Hogwarts. <laughs> I don't have an issue with B in ring. I mean, I've never had an issue with B in ring, and I'm not putting all of the blame solely at B's door, but you have done all of this work on building Suri as this basically one-woman wrecking machine, and B was on top for 90% of this match. And it was just... It was a complete flip, a complete reversal of everything that we've seen of this feud. Like, you know, Suri beating the shit out of B Priestley during the contract signing. And B Priestley running away from Suri because she was scared of her during um, the Artist of Sardom challenge um, a couple of weeks ago. There was no sense of fear here. Nothing at all. It was basically B, 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 B. Oh, shit, she submitted. And it, I don't know. It, it was a really, really... Like, it went 11 minutes and 31 seconds, and I genuinely thought it had been longer. I genuinely thought it had been, like, about 15 minutes. Really didn't enjoy this one. Really struggled to get into this one. And it's a shame. And I I do think this one possibly suffered because of a lack of crowd, but I think the lack of through line, like you mentioned, really just took me out of it. Moves for moves' sake. Yeah, it was just... It was fine... It, it was. I don't have any major issues with it, but I didn't. I wasn't jumping head over heels for it or anything. No, I I gave it four, mate. I just, I couldn't give it any more because I'm I'm feeling a, I'm feeling a five. I just feel nothing for this. I think I'm disappointed. I'm re- I'm really disappointed. And I think you know, both women just seem to be going at half speed, and bees. Offense, and this was something that was leveled at Konami in the next match, and I, I disagree. I think B's offense here was dull, boring, dragged out, and was really slow, whereas Konami's in the next match, which we're going to go into in a moment, was targeted. It was relentless. So, yeah, let's go into that match now, because I, I know it's one that we disagree on. So, match seven, uh, Wonder of Stardom title match with Juliet defeating Konami at 20 minutes and 43 seconds with the glorious driver three um I'll throw to you in a second Chris I am just going to preface this by saying this is the one match that was impacted by the crowd the most yeah it definitely was yeah like they, they might as well have not been there for this match and I'm I'm sorry I'm not, I'm not going to accept the 
well, Julia wasn't enough of a babyface in this match. Disagree entirely. There was enough there. There was that opening with uh, Konami savagely attacking Julia's arm was brutal. Absolutely brutal. You got the chair. You got that moment where Julia has got a hand on the canvas. And it's a move that Shayna Baszler sort of does where the elbow's up in the air, the hand's on the mat, and um, Shayna Baszler stamps on the shoulder. Here, Mm -hmm. literally, Konami just took a run-up and punted the arm out from underneath Julia. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Rammed it into the chair, stamped on the chair. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And once you've delivered all this in a very small amount of time, in a very short amount of time, and you get nothing from the crowd, it, it does take you out of it. Yeah, what Austin sort of took me out of it was... But she just stopped selling the arm. And, like, I... The arm is the easiest thing to sell, right? Like, look at um, Go versus Nakajima from yesterday. And Koshiyasaki had a perfect selling of the arm there. Like, he was... Because when your arm hurts, you can still... Unless it's, like, dislocated or broken, you can still use it. But, like, it's going to hurt when you use it. So you just need to get that across when you start hitting people. And Julia was doing really good at that for the first half of this match. And then she dropped it. It's the Kenta Miyahara like, he does. I'm fucking criticizing him. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, he did the same. I'm not even praising him. I'm not going to praise him once throughout this whole bit because he did the same thing in his match with He did the same thing in his match with Yuma Aoyagi back in February where he just dropped the arm. Um, selling so we could hit the shutdown suplex and Julia kind of just did it here because all her offense is arm based but you just need to sell that the arm hurts because when your arm hurt because I have you ever like hurt, really I've hurt your arm twice okay well but depending and long, as long as it's not like your shoulder or your elbow you can still basically you still have most of your mobility so like since it was the wrist Julia just needed to get across that she was hurt when she threw a strike or did a big maneuver, which she didn't after a while. And just, it dragged down the match for me, along with the fact that the crowd, like literally, I think we could have resurrected Michael Jackson and John Lennon in the middle of the ring. And then we had put on a five-star classic with, I don't know, the Bee Gees and the crowd wouldn't have reacted. And even then you'd just be cheering out of sheer amusement. (laughs) I agree to a certain extent regarding Julia's selling. I do agree that it got less and less as the match went on. I think she didn't discard it entirely. I think quite the opposite. She's cradling her arm during the pinfalls. Um, She sold the arm during the striking exchange. You can put that down to adrenaline, okay? Because eventually she just couldn't throw it anymore. She was sort of throwing it with her elbow instead of a forearm, letting a forearm dangle, which, again, was fine. I do agree she needed to sell it a little bit more. And I I do agree with the criticism that for all of the work Konami put in on the arm at the start of the match, there was never a real moment you thought that Julia was going to lose. I don't know what it was, but 
it seemed that Julia was always, despite being in clear agony and that fire opening with, you know, just it got a little bit uncomfortable to watch at times, which was great. That's exactly what Konami should do. But for all that work, Konami never really seemed to take charge of that. There was no pinfall attempts or anything like that. Um, as for Julia's selling, she did try and hit the Julia, um, Julia Drive, the Glorious Driver, but couldn't do it because of the arm. She kept losing out on submission, sort of um, doing submissions with Konami and sort of dueling submissions, and Konami would always come out on top because Julia couldn't do the arm. And I'm not saying it's perfect selling. It wasn't perfect selling. It was inconsistent. But I don't think it was bad. I think the fact that she had to amend no. the Glorious Driver to finally put Konami away was a good little story point because we've now got three variations of the Julia driver because that's uh, the glorious driver because yeah. that's what we need. Um, it didn't, yeah, it didn't like ruin the match again. Like with the Miyahara match from earlier, it didn't ruin it. I swear to God, if you beep, I walk to snow, uh, walk to snow and stab snow stuff. And this is how mad I am. I'll stab you with a fucking screwdriver. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Um, but it didn't ruin the match. It, it still wasn't. Like, in terms of, like, her white belt defences, uh, with the exception of Himika, which is probably the weaker one, weakest one. See, I disagree. I actually really like this match. Um, we More than the time match? No, not more than the time match. Yeah, the time match was incredible. We, did, yeah, it, we did give that um, 10, to be fair. Did we? I remember giving it a 9. I'm sure, I'm sure we gave it a high 9 or a 10. I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head, but this, yeah. I'd give it a high 8. Yeah, I'd give us well, I'd give us like a mid low eight, but yeah, I'd also give it an eight. I think we do just need to talk for a moment about that fucking headbutt. <laughs> okay, here's the thing: I've been diluted on headbutts for two reasons. One, I've been watching 1997, where they do not care about concussions and throwing tables at each other's head, and also there was a DDT match between Eruption and Disaster Box. Was that it? I, I'm bad with DDT team names. And there was a headbutt there you could that you could literally hear, like you could hear the when it went off. It it was disgusting. It was just so unexpected. Like, I know. I know. Just I've never seen her hit, at, and it was just it did be you know it sort of didn't help that the crowd was so fucking quiet. It just echoed around the arena. It was horrendous. Yeah, I thought it should buy a headbutt. It was. It? Yeah. To be fair. Julia's no stranger to headbutts through pecs. She was doing them in the Hannah match. Yeah, but not like that. Last year. No, they were more like several small ones instead of one like big Glasgow yeah, she basically kiss. took a fucking run-up at Konami here. <laughs> it was like fucking Elia Dragunov's finisher, which is like for running. Yeah, have you ever played Super yes. Smash Bros? It's like Luigi's headbutt. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't want to see it again, I'll be honest. And I think it is because of what happened to Shibata. Yeah, just I, I, I think just as New Japan fans, we never want to see a headbutt no. again. No, never again. Never, ever, ever again. Let's move on then. Main event time. World of Stardom title match with Utami Hayashishita defeating Mayu Iwatani, the champion, at 24 minutes and 44 seconds with the crucifix bomb 
ending Mayu's run at 377 days, the fourth longest reign with the belt. Chris, what do you think? I, this is really good. In terms of, it's weird, because I was thinking about, I was actually had a conversation about this with um, Niagara Driver on our Discord last night in the Noah section, which has basically just turned into, we're going to start talking about Noah, and then we're just going to spin off and complain about Okada. But uh, we were talking about how, I was talking about how my preference for title reigns. I'd rather have a more inconsistently inconsistent title reign that felt different each match. And what, and I was framing this in terms of Gojizaki's title reign. Could you look at like an Okada title reign or even like a Miyahara title reign? <laughs> it's just, but it's so hard for me to make points when you beep every time I mention one of the most prolific characters in all of Japanese wrestling. It's not like I'm being fucking smarky on our fucking little Joshi podcast, <laughs> mentioning one of the the ace of all japan i'm just trying to draw a comparison let me live my life right uh where was i what was it oh yeah so i, I framed this in terms of goji Izaki's tight reign because all those matches felt really different but also they're really hit and miss especially like the vegeta and saito match which no neither of those matches anyone feels neutral about but either love them or hate them whereas um with male's tight reign we've had a reign where everything has felt different but also, it's with the exception of the Saki match, every single defense has been worth going out your way to see. She's had an absolutely stellar year. And if she doesn't win the Stardom Cast Wrestler of the Year at the end of the year awards, I just I don't know who could possibly go Ganda for that wrestler of the year. <laughs> I don't know who else could beat her because here she was on fire. She's I compared this to the Siori match, and see, and they were two completely different matches because in the Siori match, Siori beat the piss out of Mayu for the entirety of the match to the point where Mayu was one strike away from being knocked unconscious. Here, mm-hmm. Mayu dominated to start off with, being the arrogant prick. Even brought in more of a submission game, which I'm all here for, targeting the arm of Yutami, trying to take out the crucifix bomb, the massive clotheslines, the big bombs that Yutami throws. And then you've got Yutami, who you pretty much can only do this with Mayu, targeted the neck solely. Which, as we know, is Mayu's strong point. So it was potentially not the most, the <laughs> wisest of uh, tactics, but even so, was relentless. To the, that bit where she had a laid out on the apron and was just running up and punting Mayu in the neck was, it was great, but so uncomfortable. The air raid crash on the apron. Ugh. I mean, to be fair, that was a receipt for a. <laughs> tombstone on the apron that tombstone was absolutely incredible it was so well done i mean again yutami sold that so well just flopped to the ground it was it was great i I loved everything about this match i thought both women had tremendous chemistry i thought yutami came out of this you know not only as champion but looking fantastic i thought mayu's desperation towards the end when she realized the match was getting away from her was brilliant. The really messy roll-up she was doing as desperation at the end 
amazing. Utami getting stronger and stronger. The sort of excitement at how close she was getting. She was pushing the referee out of the way. She was being far rougher with Mayu because to start with, you could see, and I'm sure this was storyline, you could see how focused yet how nervous Utami was going into this match and how... Yeah, it was a similar... It was sort of a similar energy that she had in the Arisa match earlier yeah. in the year. Like, I'm in a singles title match, but now it's the main event of this huge show for the biggest title in stardom. And you could see Mayu, she's got this snide sort of smile on her face as she goes for the first handshake, which Utami ignores, goes for the second handshake, still that real sneer on her face. She's giving a kick, giving a little receipt throughout the match. And obviously that changes as Utami gets more and more into the match, as she grows into the match. Um, and towards the end, Mayu is taking absolutely obscene bumps. That final crucifix bomb that Utami throws, I'm surprised you, Mayu didn't bounce off the canvas and over the top rope. It was ridiculous, the elevation that Utami got on her. I just, I really, really enjoyed this match. And do I think Utami is the right person to take it off Mayu? Sure. Why not? You're never going to know unless you try it. And we're going to talk in a little bit, Chris, about where we think this reign is going to go. But overall, it was a completely different match to the Siori match. It was completely different to the Takumi Aroha match. It was its own match, which proves your point, Mayu can have these different matches where she is on top, she is desperate, or she is fighting from underneath, or you know, being that desperate babyface champion. I thought this was fantastic. Did I prefer it to the Suri match? I don't know. And I think one thing, and I know I'm a record stuck on repeat, one thing that Suri match had that this match didn't have was a hot crowd. With a hot crowd, this is your match of the year without a shadow of a doubt. Those moments that there was a close pinfall where I think Mayu would roll Utami up after a Hurricane Rana, uh, a Poison Rana, sorry. And Utami kicked out barely at three. It was the closest three counts as the G1 final. And there was nothing from the crowd. You have, a, you have that Yokohama crowd there, they pop. They go mental. They see that pile driver on the apron mental their air raid crash on the apron they're clapping they're cheering as much as they can do in the mask and I think that did I don't think it hurt this match anywhere near as much as it hurt the semi-main between Julia and Konami but I certainly think it didn't help this match does that make sense? yeah that makes perfect sense um, I do mostly agree with you in terms of like it not feeling like other matches I kind of disagree I think this is sort of like there's a bunch of other Mayu matches thrown in here. You sort of have, like... In terms of, like, pure tone, this felt a lot like the Momo match. In terms of, like, just your standard back and... Almost standard back and forth bomb fest that you get for certain main events. Um, in terms of, like, di dynamic, it was a lot like the Aroha match or the Jungle match where Mayu's trying to take down a much bigger opponent. Um, in terms of like the cockiness, it felt a lot like Mayu and like the five star or tag league 
Um, and by the way, the cockiness thing is something I love. Um, like the Darby Allen versus Cody match had it all out, and it was great there. And the match where Swammer won the Triple Crown, it was there too, and it was great there as well. So, yeah, just a lot of Bet- May's best qualities, along with like some of my favorite things in wrestling, the front into this match, which gotta love. And also Utami, she's great. It's a much different dynamic than we're used to. With like we haven't sort of had the big bruiser as champion for a while. Like you look back at the last few champions. Um, one second I'll get to her. But you have like May, who's like obviously not a big bruiser. B Priestley, who is sort of kind of nothing. The last big bruiser looking back over the history of this title would be Alpha Female back in 2013. Like everyone else, sort of isn't that bruiser type like Kagetsu's a bruiser but she's in a much different way from Utami Kagetsu feels more like a final boss whereas Utami feels like something you'd come across in fucking Dark Souls yeah. at points so yeah so it's just it's something different for the title and like you said we don't know what it's going to be like until we try it we're going to get onto our once when we get to the questions bit but yeah just in terms of is this the right time for me to drop it? Definitely, because she's ran through basically every other contender. And like, as once you got past May, you're going to start going like Himika, sure, but also like she's definitely not ready for a world of stardom title match. Um, you get a B rematch maybe, but I don't, I don't want May to die. Konami, um, Julia, Julia. Yeah, well, Konami. Yeah, Konami was like the last. One Julia, I don't, I don't think she was quite ready for like the double championship thing to happen again because we just got out of the point, like only a few months ago, we got out of the point of Julia being overpushed. Where she's now at like the right level, we need to like back away from that for a while. We need to keep her steady. So like, you, sure, I'd love a moment mat- um, rematch. Sure, I love a Shiri rematch. But when you get to the point of repeating, like for example, you with Tanahashi's type big title rainbow points where we've taken on Toriano and um, Tokyo Pimp and you don't want that and like Okada's title reign it starts to get to the point where things felt like full of defenses and you haven't had right with Mayo none, with the exception of the Saki match all of them felt like they could do it on some level whereas with um, Okada like Zack Sabre Jr. was never going to win the title so they took the belt off her before they got to that point and it's an impressive reign to begin with like a year long reign is nothing to sniff at like we sort of we're used to long title reigns in Japanese um, in Japanese wrestling right now like Okada got, had that two year reign and then had another nine month reign not long afterwards um, well I'm trying to think of one that you're not going to fucking beep at um, Go's title reign Kaito's title reign just we we used to longer title reigns now, so but like while they're mighty impressive, as mentioned, they get to the point where May would have to start defending against Mina Shikawa. Yeah. So like we took it off her, we took it off her right, like just before she got to the point where we were like, okay, move on to this May title reign. It's like the perfect length for how the roster is right now. Going back to what you said, the final bit about the match, you say about how it's. You know, it's it's not the most different match because it had elements of every other match, but mm-hmm. I think that in itself makes it different. It's not like any other match yeah. in its entirety. Okay. It's got it takes little bits. It takes the best bits 
of Mayu's mm-hmm. other defenses, which which is great, and that's what makes this match unique. It's a perfect, it's a perfect way to end a long yeah, title. Yeah, I agree. Because you just sort of because like you end up just seeing Utami, who like in kayfabe you can spin it to go, well, she's seen all these time matches, so she's taken what has and hasn't worked and implemented it into her game plan. What would you give this match? Nine. I'm feeling nine. I don't think it's perfect, and it may just be the crowd. Um, we've talked, like several people have mentioned in the Discord, that um, COVID era matches do have a ceiling, and I've tried to rate through that ceiling. But like the the fact, like I get, as you said, I'm at Tombstone. People should be like shouting. People like the ace is wounded. People should be wanting Utami's blood, and we're just there going. Yeah, like I've seen more reaction from Garth when we try to talk to him about stardom. <laughs> it's touching a ten for me. I re I really enjoyed this match. Really, really enjoyed this match. It's closer to a ten than it isn't. It's definitely like top ten start. And again, I say that with every fucking Mayo defense, and after a while, just the whole top ten is going to be May. It's top three. But... It's top three stardom matches of the year for me. Is it? I'm trying to think of my top three are, especially going into the awards, because, you know, I, I will be voting. Obviously. Uh, you should vote too. Plug. Um, <laughs> imagine if I didn't vote, it'd be like that episode of Simpsons. Like, I wanted to recount. Okay. One for Mayu <laughs> versus Momo. Two for Mayu versus Momo. Um, no, nah, I don't think it's top three. For me, top three would probably be the first Aroha match, um, the tag match from... Um, Ninth anniversary of Saka with Kagetsu's retirement match, and you know what? Possibly controversial, but I think maybe Utami versus Risa, because we still differ on that quite a lot. <laughs> There's three that are very the the three Mayu defenses: Iroha, the second match, um, Suri, and Utami are all up there. All three of those defenses are up there, and they're all very, very, very good. And that's not taking into account Momo one earlier earlier in the year. Oh, the jungle one, which or the jungle which one, which everyone, everyone forgets. Just... Yeah, and it's bad because it is one of the better defenses of the absolutely, great absolutely. Um, anyway, post match, um, Utari takes the microphone, says who will be her first challenger. She's met with Julia and Suri. Um, basically, it all boils down to. Uh, Momo. Uh, Momo comes out and that is made official. Um, Just quickly, I'm not sure how much I appreciated the comedy that Julia and Suri were trying to put over Momo here. It it seemed very forced and a bit clunky. Yeah, this felt like pre-five-star Julia in terms of... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that the crowd's dead, but yeah, I I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't like this. I didn't... It, it doesn't exactly put over the challenger to the red belt that you're basically calling her out for being shit and not winning anything. I mean, like, if you wanted to have an obstacle for Momo out there when she's out of challenge, just have be out there saying she's And then just have uh, Momo hit her with a peach sunrise. That'd be lovely. Um... <laughs> so yeah, Momo versus Utami has made me been made official for Osaka the twentieth of December. So overall, Chris, before we go into a couple of questions and then wrap up the podcast, um, if you had to rate this show on a scale of one to one to ten, what would you rate it? And 
were you impressed or were you disappointed with the general output of Sendai Cinderella? Um, if I see Sendai Cinderella as a Corican show, it was fine. And in terms of like a Corican show, I'm sort of seeing it as the February one with the Aroha match, with, which is like a fine undercard, which didn't blow me away with a great main event. So like it was a good show. I enjoyed it. Like it's on the long side, like over two and a half hours, which is on the long side for stardom shows. And it kind of just flew by. Like I, I didn't at any point feel burned out on the show, which again, when a show's going quite long um, for what it is, is a good thing. Um, the only point I felt actively annoyed was because none of it, like I know um, some of it's actually annoyed you on here. Nothing on the show actually annoyed me apart from that ending promo because it just seemed pointless. But yeah, I this was just a solid night of wrestling, which you, you should watch it. You should watch the Noah match from yesterday first, but also watch this. I think if we're going to compare it to Yokohama Cinderella, it, it doesn't touch that show. Uh-huh. Oh, no, not at all. Not in any um, way. But otherwise, it's it was sort of, I think the undercard underwhelmed and I think that was hugely to do with the crowd. Um, the the lack of crowd interaction really, really, really hurt this show. Um, I think the attendance really, really hurt this show. Um, I think you know, five hundred people is you know, five hundred and eight people in this arena isn't you know isn't what they were expecting. And I think that the fact that they were dead silent for the entire fucking thing really didn't help either. Um. The two matches at the top of the card, I think, delivered, um, especially Utami versus Mayu, which, again, I think is a candidate for match of the year. Um, I would give it, purely on the strength of the final two matches, I'd give it a seven, because I think the undercard for me, and I think I, I, think I made this abundantly clear, I, I was not impressed with the undercard. Let's move on then. We've got some questions. So, Chris, what this is from Niagara Driver on the um, Discord. What do you want to see out of Utami's first red belt reign? Length, opponents, anything else, etc. And then I suppose, who do you see her dropping it to? Um, I kind of this is going to sound weird, but I kind of want something similar to. B Priestley's rank because what she does, she kept fighting people from Queen's Quest on some level because you can choose your challenger and you want to prove yourself. Utami going up against a bunch of the Queen's Quest people, I think, would be great for her first few defenses. And Ben start branching out. Like, I want to see her go up against um, like a trilogy of like Saya, Momo, and Hina. Um, okay. Azumi. Because um, I think that'll be a nice little road and Ben. Who who I don't want it to last. I want it to be like mid length, like maybe like six months. I don't think Itami's like between four and six months with a couple of defenses. I think is perfect for Itami's first reign. I'm not sure I want it to be like overly overly long, but I might change the mind as I go along because um, like you look at May tag team off night May is very very different. Like where she's either really annoyed at Tam or just. A high apparently um, is completely different from title match May. so I'm very interested to see that dichotomy because we've only seen Utami in a couple of high end title matches 
like it's basically this match and Mirita match. I'm interested to see like what style she brings to the belt because again, she's very different kind of champion than we had in a very mm. long time, and especially since I started watching. Because basically, since I started watching, we've had B and then May. So yeah, in terms of what like in terms of what I want to see once again the Queen's Crest run and then who I'd wanted to lose it to. Honestly, something from DDM. I think D- of the people people on the card, I think DDM and Queen's Quest have the best chemistry. So I think someone from that would probably be my want to win. Maybe Julia once she loses the battle boss, I wouldn't hate if Shiri won it. Or maybe Nat's point, so I can keep making those greatest showing <laughs> references. No, not Nat's point. Looking at the reigns of the champions, um, the last time we had a really, really short reign uh, was actually Mayu's first reign. That was back in t- uh, 2017 and 95 days. And before that, it was back in 2013, which was Alpha Female at 43 days. Would we be completely out of our minds for thinking maybe she drops it on the 20th to Momo? I think that would that would definitely be a shock. And since it haven't, hasn't happened before, maybe. But like, if you're going to have a drop to Momo, I don't know why you wouldn't just have May drop it to Momo. <laughs> maybe if you really want to hammer in the hierarchy of Queen's Crest and start a dissension there, maybe. But you already have a dissension angle going on with Stars. So like two going on at the same time might be a bit much. But maybe that will what facilitates a draft. I don't think it's out of the question. I just don't think like it, I think it would be a weird roundabout way to get the belt on Momo if you're going to do that I just have a beat May I agree with you I say that she has it for maybe three months drops it in um, drops it at the anniversary show um, I think you've got the opportunity to have a defence against Momo maybe a defence against maybe Tam um, someone someone who yeah. hasn't challenged Mayu so, no, you know, you're looking at Julia, so, Tam, Konami, all of Queen's Quest, apart from Momo, all haven't challenged Mayu. So give them the opportunity to challenge Itami. Maybe Tora, because she hasn't had a chance, despite being the head of Oedetai. And also, she seems to be dropping the chain thing. Finally, and also we saw in the five star that Tora and Utami do have chemistry. They do. You talk you talk about Honestly, stardom want- wanting to sell out big buildings. Or to at least draw in a crowd. Mayu versus Utami drew five hundred and eight people to Sendai. Do you think Utami versus Tora on top is going to sell? Is that your I big mean, you match? Can just throw that on. You can have red we're still having red belt match and some Corrigans. Have that be one of the Corrigan defenses? Can't wait to review that. Um, so, <laughs> well, if, if Jungle was about, I'd say Utami would be a good person to drop the belt to Jungle because Utami and her have like a big rivalry. I can't, I can't see Jungle being back next year. I can't see it being back. No, that's that's the thing. No, that's the thing. I can't see it being... If Jungle was about, that's what I'd be saying. But, like, without that, it's sort of money's for water. We don't know. Because I, I, I've i been saying this a lot in the build-up to this as, like, to sort of trying to put over Utami could win the belt. Um, Saddam aren't as rigid as we're used to with the red belt. 
like again, B Priestley got a to- got a shock reign, so like at that point, anything's possible. True. True. So like, we don't know because like again, in terms even in terms of like the type of competitor, in terms of recent stardom history, we're in somewhat uncharted waters here. So I, I've, it's weird because like it's a similar vibes for me, like and. It's, it's probably going to sound like I'm being mean but I'll explain myself you know when Eva won the championship and we were like oh shit what happens now that's kind of where I am except I don't have like an innately negative feeling to it because I like Utami <laughs> like this doesn't feel rushed like and it like as you said before it feels like a decent combination to male drain and especially given how stardom but I don't know like I in, in terms of what I want to see I've laid that out but in terms of what I think we'll see I literally don't know stardom surprise me all the time with that shit like if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that julia would be one of my favorite people on the roster i would not have fucking believed you i would be very very surprised if we don't see julia as champion come um the anniversary tour so you think she's going to be a champion come next year oh she'll definitely have the red belt next year definitely yeah you think yes i do i think she will drop the white belt um, I think she'll drop the white belt at the next defense. Whoever, well, it does depend who it is, obviously. But I think she'll drop the white belt because, I, like you said, I don't think they'll do the double champion thing with Julia, at least not yet. You know, they just got her over. I don't think they're going to risk then pushing her far, far too much by putting both belts on her. Um, I think you see Utami run through Momo. I think you see Utami run through. Potentially one more challenger, like I said, maybe a Tam. Um, and then I think she drops it to Julia, um, who hasn't had a red belt match before. Um, they're clearly very high on her. And is that the match that could sell out your anniversary? To- I mean, again, you're looking at January 19th, so well, it's probably going to be... They're definitely going to throw... like. We have to understand, like, it's not just this having, like, the main... Because in terms of the main event, this had a better main event. event. In terms of, like, drawing, I think part of it is, like, the undercard of this wasn't as strong as the undercard for Yokohama. So we're going to throw, like, loads at the at the Budokan show. And isn't, like, say, Kairi Sane's left WWE now, hasn't she? So she's not out of she the She works question. for the WWE. Like, not to, like... Ah, well... It's still like a possible. Like I don't want to throw out wild accusations, but I think we're going to get more than just the normal sort of twenty or so people we see on every Stardom show. I think we're going to bring in some special guests for that one. So it's not just going to be the. It's like selling out that isn't just going to be in the back of a title match. Interesting, interesting. Like when, like when Noah ran the Tokyo Dome, um, they had Rikio as champion. And, like, he fucking sucked. <laughs> so, like, again, the title match isn't going to be the only thing we have to worry about going into Budokan. So, honestly, I I don't think the World Championship match going into Budokan is the biggest question mark. I think it's more what other shit are we going to bring in to draw people in? Because, like, if they bring in people from like, other promotions, I was going to say Roha, but she's injured and she apparently her leg exploded or something. Um... You bring in like Aja Kong, or but, uh, she's really the only Joshi legend going right now, isn't she? <laughs> so bring in Aja Kong. <laughs> there you go. Chris thinks that the main event 
of uh, Budokan is going to be Utami versus Ajikong. You heard it here first. Exclusive. No, Stardom I cast exclusive. I think um, Ajikong would be in a tag match with Koko and Death. Final question then, before we wrap up. And this goes off what we were talking about before, so just want to get a clear answer on that um, on that question. Do you think we are going to have stars split up into two different factions, or do you think it's just building towards a draft? I think it'll be two different factions for a while. Um, if we are going to split up, we might just end up being, we might just want a storyline for Mayu while um, she's away from the Red Belt. So honestly, it might just be like it was with Arisa and Tam last year, where it's just a little infighting and then they just forgive each other. What do you see next for Mayu? Like, Aside from, um, aside from this feud. You definitely need to keep her away from the Red Belt thing for a while, because otherwise you have like the Okada problem, the... Um, fuck's sake. Talking about it, drawing parallels so hard now because it's <laughs> a fucking alarm. Uh, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I know you what you mean. Me. So, like, because I, I... But also I'm trying to think what programs you could put her in, because she could put a few people over now. Like she could like put Momo over. She could put like honestly, if she loses a if she loses a couple of matches, she's not going to be hurt at all. So maybe putting a like because the most immediate feud seems to be Tam. But like if you want that to bubble under for a while, there's plenty of options on the roster. There's plenty of people floating about with no real um with no with no real story, and also Stardom aren't beyond putting belts on people that may seem above the belts, so or like her going for, say, the tag belts or the SWA belts um, isn't completely out of the question. So, Would you... This is what I would like to see. What about her and Starlight Kid with the tag straps? I'd be into that. Um, it'd be something different for me. It would um, help elevate Starlight Kid for a while. It would bring a lot more um, focus onto tag belts, and also it means... Mayu can have that in the back pocket because since the time he's becoming tag champ, she can go, ah, beat you for those belts. Well, I'll get that belt off you again. And it gives her a bit more to go off. So yeah, that, I actually think that's yeah, a great that's, idea. That's where I think next, because again, I'd love to see Starlight Kid highlighted more next year because I think the progress she's made this year is second only to Sai Kamatani and... I've been hugely impressed with Starlight Kid, and I'd like now for for us to see that next jump. You know, not the high-speed division. We, we've seen that, okay? She can continue to fight in that division. That's absolutely fine. But as a tag champ with Mayu, we see far more of her offense. You know, it's not just about the speed. It's about storytelling. It's about, you know, that through line in a match. So yeah, that's that's where I think Mayu is going next. Anyway, I think that about does us for today. So thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Please go and check us out wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all that jazz. Go leave us a five-star review or comment. It really does help us. It helps us push us up the rankings and helps us to be shared with more fans just like you. Uh, go and check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk, where you can check out all the archived episodes 
of the Stardom Cast. Um, check us out on Twitter at, at the Stardom Cast. Join the Discord, which is pinned to the top of our Twitter page. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Chris, where can they find you? Um, we're in phase two now so hey. in the and we'll talk to you guys again we'll be back in early December to talk about the Mutsu tournament until then we'll see you guys later bye bye